Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Imagine how different your life might be if you learned about financial independence or how to manage your money when you were a teenager. Now, I know a common theme for so many of us is that we wish our parents would have taught us about money. We wish that we had a teacher teach us more than just balancing a checkbook. This is all very common stuff that I have heard and even said myself. That's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, Dan Sheeks. If you're not familiar with Dan, he is doing God's work in the financial independence world. He's the owner and founder of Sheeks Freaks LLC, which is an online community to help young people live their best lives by making smart money decisions. He's also the author of First to a Million, A Teenager's Guide to Achieving Early Financial Independence. He has been a high school business teacher in Denver, Colorado for 18 years, and he's really passionate about teaching teens early financial freedom strategies so they can live their best lives. In this episode, we cover a ton of ground. Here's what you're going to learn. Dan shares some insights into why he started shifting traditional retirement accounts. He's actually stopped contributing to those and put more of his money into things like real estate. We talk about the mental, I guess, dilemma that comes with that. So many times we we think we have to invest in certain traditional retirement accounts. So it's a little bit of a mental shift. We talk about different lifestyle goals for financial independent people. So if you're approaching FI or wishing to achieve FI, there's a few different camps of people. We kind of dive into that. How teaching FI to kids is so different from teaching it to adults. The four mechanisms of FI, why you need to pay yourself first. This is a broken record. We always say this in the personal finance community, but it's so critical. And Dan talks about why that is. Strategies for increasing the rate at which you save. Approaching the student debt conversation when talking to teens, there's some good tips and insights there. And Dan's personal experience with college and student debt himself. This episode is so interesting and so good. If you know a teen, you are a teen, or you just want to 
to understand a little bit more about financial independence from a very approachable perspective, then you definitely want to tune into this entire episode. I highly recommend also grabbing a copy of Dan's book, First to a Million. It's linked in the show notes, so you can go pick up a copy. And this one, honestly, I read it on a plane back from a financial conference. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciated Dan's approach to financial independence and just the way that he made this topic so approachable. I know you're going to love this episode and I would love to see your feedback too. If you did enjoy this, leave a five-star review and don't forget to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. Come say hi. Let me know you're listening in. Let me know what your takeaways were. I love to connect with listeners. It really means so much to see who's actually tuning in. All right, without further ado, I'm going to turn the mic over to my friend, Dan Cheeks. Dan Cheeks, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Whitney, and excited to talk about all the good stuff. I am super excited to talk about your book, but before we dive into some of the concepts and really what led you into writing the book. Tell me a little bit about you as a person. Like, what do you do for a living? Why are you so passionate about money? Where did this all come from? I don't know where it came from, but (laughs) I can tell you where I'm at today. Yeah. So I'm, I live in Denver, Colorado, married. We have a six month old son. That's kind of the personal side, but I'm also, my main job is I am a public high school business teacher. And I've been doing that for 19 years. Well, which is crazy because that seems like a lot of years and it is, but it's gone by really fast. I also happen to love my job. I really, really do love uh, teaching the subjects that I teach. I, I work at a great school, so that makes it that makes it even better. So I've always had you know a business mind and I've always been interested in personal finance. And you know when I when I came upon the fire movement or you know I found bigger pockets and real estate investing and passive income stuff, six, seven years ago, learned a lot and then said, you know, the natural extension was to then start teaching that in my classes and then also decided to go online with that as well. That's incredible. So when you first discovered FI, was this like through a friend or like, how, how did you even come across this concept? <laughs> I think it was probably my wife actually. So about seven years ago is when we met and she 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 had she had a couple rental properties. I had one, mm-hmm. um, but she had just found bigger pockets, and she introduced me to that community. And we were both very like minded around that part of our, the finance part of our lives, and I guess other other aspects too, as it turns awesome. out. And so we really dove into bigger pockets, and then choose FI and some other communities and blogs and podcasts, and we just together. I mean, it was kind of like one plus one equals equals five. Like we just kind of energize each other around learning more about everything that falls under that fire umbrella. Where were you kind of pre-discovery? Like were your finances in shambles? Were you doing okay already? Like how did your finances look before then? They were probably better than most. I mean, I I didn't, uh, I, at that point, I actually did still have some student loan debts, uh, didn't have credit card debt, although I did have a fair amount of that in the past. Um, I've made my share of mistakes. <laughs> yep. I think uh, we all have. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I was, I was in a pretty good spot. I mean, I had investments, I had retirement accounts. Uh, I was investing monthly into retirement accounts. I've stopped doing that actually, as part of what I've learned, I've siphoned that money into different investments, mostly real estate. Um, mm. 
And those accounts are still there and they're still doing well. I'm just not pumping more money into those. I'm going other places. So yeah, I would say I was, I was, I've always been responsible with money. I just didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that there were passive income options. I didn't know that real estate investing was so accessible to even the average person like me, a public school teacher. Yeah. I love that. So when you were initially discovering this, you you hit on a key piece that I think a lot of us struggle with. And that is, you said you stop putting money into retirement accounts, traditional retirement Mm -hmm. accounts, and are now putting it more into real estate. That is such a mindset shift for so many people. Was that hard for you to wrap your head around? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, in my limited financial education up to that point, the 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 way you did it was you invested in 401ks and yep. Roth IRAs. And as a teacher, I have a pension as well, which is awesome, but my main retirement account, I guess. And that those were the only options, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, other than a savings account, I suppose, or a bond of some kind. So when I started educating myself in the different communities that are under that early financial independence umbrella, the decision that I thought was best for me and my wife did the same thing was to stop putting money into 401ks and Roth IRAs and, and put it elsewhere. And with us, that would be real estate. That is so cool. Okay. Before we hit record, we, we were kind of having a slight philosophical conversation about the different paths to five. So people that listen to this podcast are pretty familiar with financial independence, the, the whole optional retirement. You don't have to, but if you choose to, cool, that's that's the the perk there. But for for this conversation we were talking about there's two different camps of people when it comes to fire. Can you talk a little bit about the two different types of people that you see? Yeah, um and this is just kind of a personal observation and I don't I don't judge either camps by the right. way. I I I think they're both there's no wrong choice, but yeah. I think you and I both know many, many people who have reached financial independence early in life, and you kind of see them go in two different directions. One, one would be they just keep hammering it and they keep crushing it. There's several examples out there, and the one that comes to mind is Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets, where they 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 are financially independent, but they don't stop. They keep hustling mm-hmm. and grinding and building more income streams and building more uh, assets, acquiring more assets. And, and, and Brandon's a great example because he, he's absolutely crushing it now. Um, and that's what works for him. And that's great. But there's another camp, which I think I fit more into myself, where once I, my wife and I are basically financially free right now. My wife's retired. I will be doing it sometime in the next few years. Again, I love my job. So I, I choose to be there. And I, 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 when that stops being true, I guess I won't. But my wife and I, we own 15 units of rental properties. And we will maybe get to 20 someday. Um, We're actually looking at selling three right now. So we might even downsize a little bit. We do not want to own a hundred units. We do not want to do dozens of deals every month. That's not our goal. And so our goal is to reach financial independence, live a somewhat frugal lifestyle. We don't want to be fat fire, but we also don't want to be lean, lean fire somewhere in between. And we want to travel. We want to enjoy life. But once we're there and, and we're comfortable with that point, we're, we're done. Like we're going to stop <laughs> tapping and, out and really enjoy what we have the ability to enjoy now, which is the freedom to spend our time how we want to. And now that we have a kid and maybe 
another one or two in the future. And I, I want to see my friends more. I want to travel more. I want to spend yeah. more time with my family. I want to take my son to see all of his relatives around the country. We want to, we want to do the digital nomad lifestyle for a while, rent an yeah. RV and travel the country and see friends and family we haven't seen for a long time. And, you know, I, I'll still be working a little bit on my online community and my wife manages some real estate and she'll be doing that. But I mean, I'm thinking ideally 10 hours a week and we'll be very happy with that, you know, and, and if it, and if we're not, then we'll change, but I'm not going to be the, the guy or woman that reaches financial independence and then just keeps hammering it, which again, nothing wrong with that. That's not my why though. This is very interesting because I'm thinking through what camp would I fall in? And I, I honestly, I think I'm more of the hustle camp <laughs> because I get a lot of joy from that. I'm curious for you, would that have changed before having your first child? I don't know, but I think, I think it would have changed if I was, you know, 15, 20 years younger. Mm, um, mm-hmm. For instance, I, well, we both know people who are really young, who have reached for financial independence, maybe late twenties, around yeah. early thirties. I'm 47, you know, I'm not old, but I'm not a young pup. And I, you know, I think if I was 27, I'd probably still be grinding and maybe creating and starting another business or two. But at this point I'm ready to not do nothing. I still want to contribute and, and, and do things that are fulfilling and create, but I don't want it to be taking 60 hours of my, my week. No, that's, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I love that you're downsizing too. Like what a great time to sell some doors right now. My goodness. Yeah. Well, 1031, we have three out of state um, properties in Michigan, um, which have done fine. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're solid investments, but we're thinking about bringing that capital, that equity back into Colorado, cool. partnering and leveraging it for a, something closer to home, something more long-term, more profitable. I like it. Okay. So you're teaching kids that are probably all across the board. Some are very financially savvy. Their parents have been talking to them since they were basically in the womb. And there's others that were like me, where it's like, what do I do with money? Like, what, yeah. I balance a checkbook. What does this mean? So how how do you even start approaching talking about early, like, I mean, really early retirement with teenagers that are still not quite grasping the idea of even like how to get their first job? Like, how do you even approach that conversation? So it- we're really talking about, I think, in the classroom, right? So my students yeah. in the classroom are, they do come from a wide range of of knowledge. You know, some of them have talked about money with their parents and in their household, some haven't. So, it, you know, when I teach the class personal finance, the curriculum for that class is really just the basics, which are so, so important. Totally. And I think they're lucky just to be in the class. It's an elective. So not every student has to take it, which I think is a whole nother topic of conversation that we could do around, you know, how that's a disservice to our youth and, and even past generations that we don't require some, you know, a semester long personal finance class for high school graduation, for instance. But that's, that is a topic for another day. It's just not the way it is right now. So I think, you know, there's, I have to cover the basics in that class, but then I'll bring in, you know, guest speakers. I'll bring in, you know, lots of different creative YouTube channels, influencers, on social media and reference different books that are in the space of early financial independence. But it's not too hard to 
to get their interest initially when you start mm-hmm. talking about the idea of not working till you're 65, right? I mean, I think most people <laughs> are like, tell me more. I want to know more about that idea. That sounds good to me. Then when you dig into the, the strat- strategies to get there, it is not for everybody. The, the early five path is, is not for everybody. It's just not. I mean, I, some people, their best life will be lived working until they're 65 and, and that's fine. It's, it's nothing wrong with that pathway. But I, I just give them the other option and say, if you employ these different strategies, and we're talking about things like side hustles, passive income, mindset, entrepreneurship, frugality, index fund investing, real estate investing, house hacking. When you talk about these concepts, I, I say, you know, these are options that can get you to financial independence decades before 65. If they're interesting to you, we can dig deeper. If they're not, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with either, either option. That's cool. So it's a little bit more of that choice for them, but you're kind of gauging what's piquing their interest and then doing a deep dive based on what they seem interested in. Yeah. I, I I wish I could create an entire class that was just about early financial independence, like take my book and make it into a class. You should. But the, the curriculum that I have to cover, which again, is very important, doesn't allow me time to go, to go deep into early five strategies. So I, I give them other resources and of course they can always talk to me. And, um, and now I tell them I have a, but I'm actually giving my book to any student now who currently wants one. Oh, that's cool. Free copy. And that, that, by the way, is a uh, shout out to bigger pockets. The publisher, they are allowing me to do that and give out free books to my current students. Oh, I love that um, so much. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. That's Big, so cool. Yeah. Like what a different life we might all have too. If we like, I mean, for you and I, especially when we were in school, it was money was very taboo already. So you already were not talking about it. And then when you were, it was like, here's like legit, this is what I was taught. Here's how to balance a checkbook. I'm like, I don't even have it. I still don't have a checkbook. Like, I mean, what? So it's like all of this typical advice that just never resonated with me. But if I would have known, hey, you can retire at 40. I mean, what a totally different path. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my whole mission. That's my whole that's my mission is to, I won't ever tell someone what to do, but I think I, I think my job now, knowing what I know and having the access that I do to young people, my job is to let them know there are other options mm-hmm. and other paths that you can walk around your financial future. And then, you know, now that you know the options, you decide what's best for your path and your personal goals, what's going to be your best strategy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could give a book to a student tomorrow. And they might never open it uh, maybe five years, 10 years from now. But even then, if they, you know, down the road, if they read it or digest some information, or if they remember something I said in class, it doesn't click today, but down the road, it does. That's still a win as far as I'm concerned. You know, they, they now know and they can't forget, I guess they could, but I don't have to work till I'm 65. So if they ever get to a point, maybe 20 years down the road where they absolutely hate their job, right. that teacher in high school once said, that there are other options. Let me Google that and see what comes up. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Or like, yeah, re- reference the book again and say, oh, this is interesting. It Everything speaks to us differently at every time. Like even the same exact book I've noticed speaks to me so differently depending on what is going on in my life. So I, I think that's really a great mission and opportunity for kids too. Curious about your thoughts on this. So 
the way you would approach financial independence and like education and priming for teens, is it different than for adults? And if so, how, and if not, why not? Yeah, it is so different. And here's, here's why I laugh at my situation. Cause I think, I think I took the easy way out. Honestly, I think being a financial advisor or financial coach or author or podcaster or blogger for the adult community, I think that's a really hard job because adults, <laughs> they come to the fire movement for a reason, right? And that's yeah. probably because their finances are pretty jacked up. Usually. Uh, and so maybe their credit score is tanked. They have massive amounts of consumer debt, credit card debt, student loan debt. They've they've engaged in lifestyle inflation. They're used to spending every cent of their paycheck. They don't have any savings. They don't have any investments, whatever. It's really hard to fix that. Um, it's doable. You know, you can coach people out of that situation, but my, my job is so much easier. I take the teenager who hasn't yet made any mistakes. They don't have credit card debt. They don't have student loan debt. Their credit score is non-existent unless they're an authorized user on a parent's credit card or 18 or whatever. They haven't engaged in lifestyle inflation. They haven't yet got used to spending everything they make because they've never had a full-time job. It's much easier to coach them. And I, so I think I kind of took the easy way out. I love working with young people. That's why I've been a teacher for so many years. And not my niche with what I'm doing, I like to say is like 15 to 25, but that's, you know, they're, they're definitely open. Like just for instance, when I say, okay, your goal is to have a 30 to 50% savings rate. A teenager says, okay, I'll just start doing that. But an adult in the 30s says, I can't. I can't. I can't. Do that. It's impossible. I have, I have a 3% savings rate. Now you want me to go to 50? What? I can't right. do that. I got to sell my car. I got to sell my house. I got to sell my clothes. I got to change my lifestyle. So it is very different. You know, and I think, I think I have the easier task. That is so funny because I, I feel like reaching a younger audience would be so much more challenging. So I do part time, I'm an adjunct at a university here and teaching <laughs> also electives. So most of the demographic that I get is people that are truly care about money or have, you know, some desire to better their finances. So it's kind of a biased sample for me, but I can't imagine trying to reach and resonate with Gen Z, man, they are difficult. So like, how, how do you even start having these conversations? Like I have a nephew that is 18 and graduating this year and me trying to have conversations with him about money. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? How do I get to through to you? I, I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> there, well, the bottom line is you can't make somebody do something. True. You can't make somebody want to learn about money, whether they're an adult or a teenager. You, you can give them all the information. You can give them the books and the links and the social media accounts. But at the end of the day, that's you're just leading the horse to water and that's all you can do. You can pique their interest. I mean, there definitely are things you can do to get that 18-year-old more likely to read the book or mm. listen to the podcast. But at the end of the day, and I think most parents, if they're listening, would know they can relate to this. You can't make a kid want to clean up their room. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. I mean, you can incentivize the heck out of them, maybe bribe them to do it. But bottom line, they're only doing it because of something else then. Mm. To learn about, to focus on financial future, there has to be some kind of mindset that's already planted in that individual or they're like, you know what, I'm going to, instead of watching Netflix, instead of sleeping in an extra hour, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to read this book. And so 
hopefully, you know, we, we do what we do to, we do what we can do to spread the knowledge as much as we can and make it available. But at the end, it's really just up to them. It's so true. And unfortunately you're right. And every time I, I have to remind myself that too. And I, when I talk with my nephew, I'm like, I just wish you would just listen to me. And he's like, <laughs> no, no, these new shoes. I'm like, dude, <laughs> yeah. come on. it's so funny. But someday he will come to you and say, Aunt Whitney, tell me more, <laughs> tell me more about what you did to do what you're doing now. I'm interested now. And yeah, then he'll listen. It's so true. I think it's, it's always so interesting where you're right. It's like planting those seeds and just not forcing it and letting it naturally come to terms when they're ready. Yeah. And then any parent of a teenager will know the more you are forcing or controlling your teen to do something, the less likely. (laughs) 100% right. Um, And as a teacher, I I know that very well. (laughs) The little rebels. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I respect it. So in your book, I, I love it because when I was reading through it too, there's still there's still a lot of value for adults in your book. So even though it's like written for teens, there were so many things where I'm like, this is good. This is great. I love that you mentioned credit scores, like all of this stuff too. I thought it was really, really good. But one piece of your book that I thought was interesting is you talk about these four mechanisms of FI. And so I'm hoping we can kind of chat about what some of those might be and how that could look for our own lives. Yeah. And by our own lives, it's anybody and everybody. Uh, Like you said, my book, the subtitle is A Teenager's Guide to Achieving Early Financial Independence. But anybody who's new to these concepts, strategies, the the early five mindset, my book, I think, would be extremely useful. It's it's an introduction to the fire movement is really what it is. Yep. That's, That's the... I think the most valuable part of the book is the four mechanisms of early FI. It's it's the four levers that I see that you can pull to to attain early financial independence earlier than the average person. So, and just to summarize, one is earn more. Simply put, just find a way to get more income than what you are now, whether that's a side hustle, starting a little business, part time job, full time job, perhaps. Number two is spend less. The idea of frugality. Number three is save more uh, or save the difference. Mm-hmm. And that in, in the book, I talk about what is a good savings rate? What, what should be your goal, depending on where you're at? And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're a college student, that's going to look a lot different than if you graduate high school and, and decide not to go to college, but then work a full-time job. So we get into that. And then where, where to save money? That's a question that I think people don't ask themselves enough. If I'm saving money, where should it be? while it's being saved. And then mechanism number four is to invest your savings wisely. Saving money isn't good enough. We got to invest it. So where where are the right places to put your money so that it's working for you? Mm. Out of all of those mechanisms, which one is your favorite or which one resonates most with you? I would say number three, save the difference. And and the reason why, I think most people would say that's the most boring one. Like, Earning more is great. We all want to earn more money. And sure. frugality has its own kind of following the minimalist attitude and you know, just finding different hacks to save money. That's kind of fun. Saving money just doesn't get most people excited. But for me, I know uh, when people ask me, what is, if there's one thing your book teaches that you would want someone to walk away with, what's, what's, you know, what's the most important strategy topic in your book? I always say, and I say this to my classes that I teach too. If you take one thing from my class, this is it. Pay yourself first. Mm. That, that, is, that is it. I mean, if you can 
develop a habit where you're saving 30%, 40% of your income. That's a lot and you're of money. paying yourself first. That, that's a good chunk. But again, if you haven't built a bad habit, it just becomes what you do. If 30% of every, if you bring in a hundred bucks, $30 goes to savings, you can't help but become early, uh, financially independent early in life. It will have to happen. Mathematically, it will happen decades before 65. And so I say, that's, that's it. Like, that's the main thing. And that I think falls under that third mechanism of save the difference. Yeah. That's the beginning of it. You first have to save that 30, 40%. And again, if you're a college student, it's not going to be that much. You won't have that much income. You have a lot of expenses, tuition, room and board. So it's different for everyone, depending where you're at, but saving more than the average person in your position is what's going to put you on a fast track to early five. What if we're to the point where somebody's listening in and they're like, I want to, but they are closer to that maybe 10% mark. And that's, that's what they think they can only afford. What strategy or what could they do to increase that saving the difference piece? Like how do they get that rate a little bit higher? There's so many things. I I mean, go back to the first two mechanisms. So find a side hustle, even if it's five or 10 hours a week, there's so many things you can do to just earn a little extra money. There's so many things. I, I talk about many in my book, but honestly, there's, there's websites out there that just have thousands of different side hustles listed. But most would argue, or people who understand money would argue that the more important is, is the saving aspect, the frugality of it. Because if you save a dollar, you have a dollar. If you earn an extra dollar, you have about 60 cents after you pay taxes on that. So it's more powerful to save the dollar that you already have with frugality. And there's, again, there's so many great websites and, and um, blogs that are just focused on being frugal. And really what that means is, I'm sure your listeners know, but it's about spending money only on things that you value and not spending money on the things you don't, which sounds, yeah, like it sounds like, of course, but when you're in a mindset of, I can spend everything I have in my bank account yes, because that's what society tells us. And let's be honest, spending money is really fun, right? Oh, heck all, yeah. I love buying new stuff, but if you're paying yourself first that chunk and then what's left, you have to pay for your necessities, your rent, your food, whatever. Mm-hmm. What's left then is your fun money. And, and we all deserve to spend money on things that are fun. But if you leave that till the end, cause you're paying yourself first, kind of forces you to be frugal and, and decide, okay, I, between these two things, which one do I value more? And if I don't value this one at all, why am I going to spend money on it? It's not going to bring me any joy or happiness. Why spend money on just because the money's in my account? That doesn't make sense. So let's save it, invest it. And my future self will thank me for that. Aside from paying yourself first of just like saying, okay, I'm going to pay myself first. How, how do we start to prioritize this? So it actually happens. Cause I think sometimes we have good intentions and then when rubber meets the road, we're like, damn, I blew it again. And so do you have any tips yeah. or suggestions? I have a couple. I tell all my teenage followers, listeners, people in my community, start tracking your expenses now. Yeah. Tracking your, sorry, tracking your expenses and your income now. And there's so many great free apps that do that. I like mints, but there's other ones too. You need a budget. And, and, you know, teenagers don't have a lot of money coming in and out of their life, at least compared to adults. So starting that habit now isn't too complicated. And so that report or that app will allow you to generate reports every month or a week or whatever 
So you can see how you're doing. You know, I, I had $500 come into my life during this last month. How much of it did I save? What was my percentage? So I think being able to look at it in a cool, slick, free app is, is one way to, uh, to engage in that. And then the other one is to just automate it. And so yeah. if you do have a paycheck and it's getting direct deposited in your checking account on the first of the month, let's say, keep it easy. Then on the fifth of the month, after it's had, you know, you know, it's in there, then automatic transfer into your savings account where that money will be invested. I love that. It's that little automation tip that so many times we hear and I can't even tell you how many people don't actually do that though. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, we all know this, yeah. but yet we're not taking action on it. What's up? Like, it's such an important tip. Yeah, it, it, it's intimidating. Um, I think most people feel like that. I don't know how to do it. It's going to take me three hours to figure out how to set that up. But once you actually log into your bank account and mm-hmm. and you spend five minutes, it's done, and and now you're good. You're just building wealth on autopilot. Yeah. It's the best. Mm-hmm. I, I love that with, with teens too, how, how are you approaching the conversation around student debt? Cause this is such a huge problem. I presume mm-hmm. you find value in education. I, I don't get any inkling that you're like, no anti-education don't go to college. So how do we approach mm-hmm. these, these types of conversations? Like, what are you doing with teens to help them, I guess, see what their options are? Yeah. that And that it gets into, it's a tough question to answer, like, should someone go to college or not? Or should they, should they take out student loan debt so that they can go to college? There's a couple of chapters in my book that are just about those topics. And they were the hardest chapters to write by far. Um, And I actually knew that going in, those, those are going to be tough. So I'm not anti-education. I'm a public school teacher. I think education is great, but I'm also not of the mindset that everyone should go to college. I don't think that's the right path for everyone either. Um, I also think it's a huge mistake for anyone to go to college when they don't really know what they want to study or what they want to do for a career. And they're just going to college because they just graduated from high school and all their friends are going. And my, my parents are telling me I should go. So I'm just going to go and I'll just choose a major and then maybe I'll change it. And, or maybe I'll graduate with that degree. And then I figured out I don't really like that. And so Mm -hmm. I I wasted four years. So, you know, I think it, it really is a personal decision that if the young person just spends some time with their family. I, I don't think it should be a decision they make on their own and, and other people that they trust. Just spend some time really thinking about, is a four-year degree the best thing for me? Or should I do a gap year? Or should I start mm-hmm. out at community college or technical school? Or should I just you know start working a full-time job? You, college is always there. It's not like you. it's now or never. You can take a year off or two or three, and it, you can still go to college and get that degree. So it's, it's not an easy, it's not a blanket statement. In my book, I say, I'm going to tell you the pros and cons of what college is and how that affects. If, you, if you're going down this pathway to five, if you've, if you've said to yourself, that's what I want to do, here are the pros and cons of college. And if you decide, I am going to go to college, here's how you should do it so that you can minimize, if not eliminate, any student loan debt. So once you leave that campus, you're not handicapped and, and behind the eight ball with tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. That's that's also not the right way to do it. So agree. I wish somebody would have told me that. <laughs> me too. Me too, by the way. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you when you went to college, so I presume did you was it general business that you went for or was it an education degree? 
I went to I'm an undergrad in business. And only later did I go back and get my education license. Got it. Interesting. How was the process getting that later on? Was it fairly streamlined? It wasn't too bad. I mean, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I think I was 26 or seven. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school part-time. So I was working full-time because I had to pay for those for, for the education. I actually took out more student loans. I had undergrad student loans. I had student loans from my teaching certificate, which took a couple of years. And then I went back to grad school and got more student loans there. Lots of mistakes. Um, <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. But it, it was fine. I mean, it, it wasn't, like I said, I went part-time, except for when I was student teaching, that was a full-time gig. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was able to kind of work my way through. That's awesome though. Yeah. I love that you have dedicated your career to helping people, especially with young people. Like what an opportunity to really impact their lives for a great way. Like that is such a cool thing to hear. So I'm really grateful that people like you are out there teaching kids too. I, th- I just think it's really awesome what you're up to. Well, it sounds like you're doing it as well, Whitney, in the yeah. the uh, adjunct professor role. So thanks for that. Yeah, it's super fun. It, you, it really is. I think it keeps you at least up to date with like what's going on and what are the new things. And um, oh, yeah. I love it. I really do. But for your book, I think this book is so important. And I really like it for two reasons. One, it's for the the teen audience, which is so great. But it's also for those people, I think of my mom, who is not totally familiar with financial independence, definitely like did not have her stuff together with money till much later in her life. But I think about people like that too, where it's like, what an easy entry point. So it's not so intimidating and so much jargon and making me feel like, oh my gosh, I'm totally, I haven't been investing and now I'm 50. Like I'm screwed. It's like, this is such an approachable way for people to learn. So I think it's a really good Mm -hmm. audience for those newbies too. I agree. I think one of the things I learned, one of the skills I have from being a teacher is that, and it's not just me, it probably every teacher, we we definitely learn the skill of being articulate and being able mm. to explain things in a way that every student in our classroom gets it, right? Because that's yeah. our job. If If one student out of 30 isn't following along or isn't grasping the topic, or the strategy or the concept, then, then we're not doing our job. So you learn over time to explain things in a way that hopefully they all get it. And so I think that definitely made its way into my book and I explained things as simply as I could. And so, you know, one person kind of described my book as the fire movement for dummies or whatever that series is. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. They said, this is the first book you should read if you want to know more about the fire movement. If you're brand new, no matter how old you are. And I'm, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I guess I take that as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's, it's a very, it's approachable. And I think that's, that's the whole point of that is it's easy to understand. It's easy to digest. And it doesn't make you like when I was reading through it on the way back from FinCon, actually, I didn't feel like an idiot. Like, you know, there's a lot of books and I I'm, I consider myself fairly sophisticated with money, but there's a lot of books that I read sometimes too. And I'm like, what the heck are they even yes. talking about? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what? And yours was not that way. I, I appreciate it. Like I was still a fun, engaging, well-written mm-hmm. book. So where do people go to get a copy of this amazing book aside from the show notes? It's available right now and they can go to bigger pockets is the best place to get it. So I think the link is biggerpockets.com slash teen and they'll find the book there. There's also a workbook that goes along with the book. Uh, so the book is called first to a million. The workbook is 
the first to a million workbook, really, really creative name there. But I'll be honest, I think the workbook has more value than the book. Uh, really? The workbook is a pretty significant document in and of itself. It's just really another book, but it's it walks that teenager through, it, it's an action step guide. I mm. mean, it tells them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and why to do it from the time they're you know somewhere in high school. It's about a five-year playbook, really. That's so every it's broken into four-month increments, and it gives them a list of tasks, tells them exactly how to do it when to do it, why to do it. And then they move on to another, we call them freak phases. So freak phase one, freak phase two, and then so on. By the time they're done with that workbook, it'll take them some time, five years, but they will be well, well on their way to financial independence. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for writing that book too. I can only imagine how much work and blood, sweat and tears you put into it. So thank you for taking the time to do that. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, it aligned with my mission of helping as many young people as I can live their best life. And I hope it's a great holiday gift. So if your listeners are out there and they want to order it, stocking stuff or whatnot, um, you never yeah. know what, it, what effect it might have. So I appreciate you letting me talk about the book and spread my message. Yeah, of course. Anytime, my friend. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Let's do this. So first and foremost, are you more of a morning or evening routine person? Definitely, I'm definitely more productive in the morning, but I'm not one of those people that gets out of bed. I get up at six. I don't, I don't think that's early. Maybe some people do, but the miracle morning minute, the miracle morning people, um, <laughs> the five AMers. Yeah, that's that's a little beyond where I'm at at this point. Yeah, but I'm too. I'm more of a morning person. Yeah, I like it. Well, so tell us a little bit about what your morning routine looks like these days. Given I recognize you have a a new baby, so probably totally different, but what does it look like now? You know, uh, we, my wife and I are so lucky that our, our baby boy is, he's awesome. And he's been a pretty easy baby so far. I'm knocking on wood really hard. For sure. Um, and my wife basically is retired. So she stays at home and she manages our real estate, which is a big job, but she's also at home with, with our kiddo all day, every day, which is something we're really grateful for. So my morning routine is pretty boring. I get up, take a shower, get dressed and I go to work. I, I arrive at my school around 7 a.m. every day. Oh, that's, that's it. pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Are you a coffee drinker? Nope. <laughs> no. Oh, what? No. Um, I have never, no. I, I've worked in coffee shops back in the day, two or yeah. three coffee shops. I could have as much free coffee as I wanted. I tried every different concoction and, oh, and lots of sugar and milk and chocolate. And I, I mean, I guess... Starbucks has a thing called a Frappuccino. I love yeah. that. It's more like a milkshake. It's not really coffee. I, I can do that, but no, I, I think most teachers are coffee drinkers. I just, it's not my thing. Uh-uh. Impressive. Impressive. Yeah. I don't relate to that at all, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. The next question for you. So let's pretend everything is opened up again. The world is back to normal, whatever that looks like. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Alaska. I've always, always wanted to go to Alaska and hopefully we'll be there in the next couple of years. Yeah. Mm. It, what's the draw to Alaska for you? Um, I've always been a mountain guy. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest in Iowa and I always kind of knew I'd end up in Colorado, which I mm. did. I've been here 20 plus years and I love spending my time in the mountains here. And Alaska is kind of like the, the next level mountains, I guess. So I just want to get out and do some hiking and camping and check it out. 
I love it. Okay. Next question for you. Aside from your own book, what is one book that you find yourself purchasing for others most often? Set for Life, Scott Trench. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the book when I read it. Um, Scott Trench, Bigger Pockets, it's a it's a real estate community, but his book isn't a real estate book. It's more of a personal finance introduction to fire, really. But it's his book was meant more for like. 25 on up, 25 to 45, I'd say. And when I read his book, there was a little light that went, went off inside my head. And I said, this is so valuable, but it needs to be rearranged or rewritten for the teenager. And then eventually I got the idea, why don't I just do that? But I, I love his book. It's a really good one. I quote his book often in my book too. Yeah, I noticed that. It makes sense. It's a phenomenal book too. So I can see a lot of parallels there too. Um, All right. My last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? We've already talked about it. Pay yourself first. Boom. That's it. Drop the mic, go home. All you got to do is that one thing and not pay yourself first 5%, pay yourself first 25% at least of every dime you make, and you will reach financial independence earlier, much earlier than everybody else. Dan, you are such a rock star. That was a really fun way to wrap up this conversation. Thank you again for your time. It was really fun learning from you and just reading your work. It's always so fun to connect with authors. I love that. Yeah, Whitney, thanks for having me on. Um, It was a blast hanging out with you at FinCon and look forward to doing that again next year. Keep doing what you're doing, by the way, crushing it, this podcast, everything you're doing. I mean, we're just, we're fighting the same fight. We're just trying to spread them spread the message, spread the knowledge. And uh, so I appreciate what you do as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. What'd you think? Did you love this episode as much as I did? I learned a ton and I really like the four mechanisms of FI. I know that we went very briefly over each of those. I think some of them are self-explanatory and some of those that you want to dive into more then make sure you tune into some other episodes on the Money Nerds podcast because we cover all of this stuff in great detail and from different perspectives. As always, thank you so much for listening in. Super grateful for your support. It means the world to me and I hope you're having a great week. I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye. Bye.